Welcome to Re-Engage, where we return to a sci-fi series the four of us have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. It debuted in 1987 when we were all babies. And through a strange coincidence, all of us became entertainers and storytellers in some capacity in our own careers. Now in 2020, we re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective as grown-up fans. We'll watch each episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and talk about what resonates with us most from the performances, the script, and the production as a whole. Maybe we'll get some solace away from our current political situation, or maybe we'll choke on all the nostalgia and 1980s costumes, but at least we'll be on this five-year mission together. Re-engage. Before we start talking about the first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, let's let our listeners know a little bit about who we are and what we're going to bring to the table here. And uh, we'll start with you, Eric. Oh, hi, I'm Eric Gratton. I'm a uh, fight director and physical comedian currently stationed in Seattle, Washington, with three of my favorite people here who you'll also hear from. My dad sat me down in front of the TV in 1987 when I was 11 years old, turned on the VCR to record, and showed me the first episode of the second series of his favorite sci-fi anything. The guy had thousands and thousands of books in the house, eventually thousands of DVDs. Sci-fi was his favorite, and Star Trek was his favorite of that. I'll be looking at it mostly to remember all the fun fight things and all the great clowny physical comedy that so much of this cast engaged in, and I can't wait to take another look. Sweet. Uh, Kate, what about you? Hello, my name is Kate Yeager, and I am a Seattle-based theater artist. I am an actor as well as an improviser and an educator and a lover of Star Trek, especially The Next Generation. I came to it from a family that was on the Star Wars end of the spectrum and so grew up with that. And when I was 11, I discovered Next Generation all on my own and developed a love for it that caused a schism in my family, actually. Uh, (laughs) So you won't hear any more about my family for the rest of this podcast. But... I still feel like I made the right choice, really, when it comes down to it. So I'll be looking at these old series uh, from the point of view of the nostalgia of an 11-year-old, as well as the love of uh, the adult woman that I have become, and an original lover of Wesley Crusher. Uh, So we will document my obsession with young Will Wheaton uh, from day one, starting with this episode, actually. Very excited. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) Everybody, everybody loves Wesley Crusher, except for pretty much everybody all the else, cast. except for everyone. <laughs> Jimmy, what about you? Uh, I'm Jimmy G. I am a corporate entertainer here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I was born in the early '70s. Grew up watching uh, TOS uh, on syndication. Saw all the movies as they came out uh, in the theaters and was terribly excited when TNG premiered uh, in syndication in the late 80s uh, because I love sci-fi, always have, um, and it was great to have another good sci-fi show on the boob tube. And uh, I was an actor many years ago. Uh, And I will be looking at these episodes from a couple of perspectives. One, um, some of the acting choices they brought, how that was shaped in the context of the late 80s and early 90s. But also I want to look at the the production of this sci-fi TV show in the way that things have grown since then. So 
things are much more sophisticated. Some of the shows are much more sophisticated now. And I'd really like to sort of comparison uh, those two things, you know, what they were doing then uh, and would it be successful if they were revisiting it now. Uh, and I just want to go on record that I never liked Wesley Crusher from the very beginning uh, and rewatching them. It's only uh, affirmed my detest for the young man. <laughs> I can't wait to fight about it. Oh, Jimmy is an honest man. He will tell us. <laughs> Detest. I love that. I'm Greg Tito. Uh, I was a I was a playwright, uh, theater producer, uh, stand up comedian before moving on to gaming, uh, the gaming industry, where I'm a podcaster and a communications person for Dungeons and Dragons. But I have fond memories of watching Star Trek movies, and then now the Next Generation episodes with my parents and older siblings uh, in the late '80s, and watching these episodes now, though brings me back to that time and i'm excited to get into it as a perspective uh as a father uh because my daughters are of that same age right now and i'll be sharing their view of this episode in a kid trek episode later on and uh we'll be visiting their perspective on star trek and and, and wesley crusher and their affinity and or not with him uh, in future episodes so that's that's gonna be exciting Real. says you <laughs> I can't wait. I wonder if they will learn to hate him as much as, as we do. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I got no problem with you, Wesley. I'm on your side nominally, Kate. I mean, I am wearing a Wesley Crusher sweatshirt. I was about to so say, guess... you're wearing a Wesley Crusher shirt right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't jump on the hate bandwagon now, buddy. It's too late. It is true. I, I did love Wesley. Late. Well, we will get our introduction to these characters in this episode, uh, Encounter at Farpoint. So let's start talking about that. Can we just talk about how I feel like this entire first episode was centered around the idea of this is not your parents' Star Trek? Yeah. I mean, yes, there are touchstones there, and yes, there are things that you're going to be familiar with, but that hol- that that whole holodeck moment where it's just like, oh, I'm sorry, life is going to be fantastical, and look how amazing this is. I remember just being 11 years old and just being blown away by that idea. And how they how they introduced it, I wouldn't I don't want to say seamlessly, but they did it in such a way that seemed plausible, at least to nine year old self, was like, Yeah, of course they would have technology to make this stuff and if you walk forward it'll just change and yeah, right. And it just it immediately gives all of the like technical parts of it kind of away in this first episode so that in subsequent episodes they could, you know, really dive in and use that holodeck. And that's that's kinda of true over out over so many things in this episode you're right like the saucer section and the battle section oh my changing gosh, right there's even that wonderful moment of exposition where some random uh day actor goes oh you haven't worked on one of these starships before and shows him how to use the hallway computer oh, so it was that Riker, it points right? the way uh yeah, yeah to Riker. i mean just a beautiful moment of exposition to let us know that we're in for some technology and uh it, it, People didn't like the uh, new Enterprise at first. It was very, uh, a lot of truckers were like, uh, some of the comments were it looked like a uh, Regency hotel. Right. Um, Because it wasn't closed quarters and submarine-like and very hard and metallic. They purposely went with earth tones and uh, they wanted it to feel comfortable uh, and, and specifically not a lot of blinking lights, but to make it look... Like the technology was so advanced, it was simple. And at first, people so th- there were some fans who uh, felt this isn't very Star Trek. Well, that mm-hmm. was true leading up to 
the release of this episode, which which we'll get to. It's, it was 1987 in September. Uh, but I remember being a big fan of the movies, the Star Trek movies, and they were big in my family. We watched you know the heck out of those as well as the original series. And so when it came time for Gene Roddenberry to roll out this, there was a lot of skepticism uh, by my older brother uh, in particular, who was just like, I don't know if this is going to be... Uh, good, Eric. Did you did you think about anything like that? Did you know that this was coming out, and were you were you excited about it? Oh, absolutely. I was eleven. You know, uh, right in the middle of those years where my dad and I did not get along mm. unless we were talking about movies, TV, or sports. Um, so we had the Kansas City Royals and the Kansas City Chiefs. We had uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, and every once in a while he'd let me stay up late and watch Hill Street Blues. So, like, that was it. But, no, I, I remember my dad was absolutely giddy in kind of the weeks leading up to this. And he was he was saying, you know, we'll get the whole family together. We'll sit down on the couch. Well, this is the first new Star Trek episode in so long. And, like, you know, my brothers were born in the 60s in 1970. And I, was, I came later. To me, it was yeah. the movies. Those were the ones I got to see new. For 20 yeah. years, right? You know? 20 years from the original episode to when... Because it was late yeah. 60s and 87, so it was a, a long time coming. And there was a lot of sticking its claim of it being not like not like those ones, as, as Kate was saying. Like It was very much like, this is going to be different. There's going to be you know, more women on the ship. There's going to be aliens. There's going to be you know, uh, the holodeck, the, all that stuff. Yeah, if I remember right, the, the weren't there three things that in the first meeting came up, and it was families on the ship, mm -hmm. uh, a Klingon, and an android in the crew, and the holodeck, which is amazing because that became a trope, right? The the Klingon on the deck, so Klingon because they were the bad guys, uh, and mm -hmm. then with Voyager right. we get a Borg because they were the bad guys. Uh, D Space Nine, you get Ferengis because well, they were the bad guys. So it's like, but in the original, in the original, you had Chekhov and Sulu. Yes, right? that's what because I was just going to say. The Russians were the so. There's always like yeah. this. Hey, let's take. They're not as bad as you think. They're just like us. Yeah, people are people yeah. are people. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that beautiful moment too where they first come onto the deck, and you see that there's a Klingon, and then it becomes apparent. Not too late, af long after that, that the Klingon is not the security officer, and it's this woman. Right. Like, mind blowing, right? Like, not only is there a Klingon on on board, but not even in charge of of kicking yeah. ass and taking. He's names. wearing red. Yeah. <laughs> not that he's slow to kick ass and take names. No, is, not at all. In that That's... episode, he asked permission to clear the deck. Okay. To clear the deck. <laughs> <laughs> to clear the bridge. Yeah, clear of the detritus. bridge. Detritus. I don't know. I'm making things up now. Um, so, yeah, this, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about Encounter at Farpoint, uh, which was uh, the first episode. It was a big deal because it had to be two hours, uh, even though it was, you know, about 90 minutes, but split up with commercials around two hours. It first aired uh, September 28th in 1987. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, Real world situation with the uh, the Russians uh, in Chekhov and the the Japanese in Sulu, um, but there was a lot of that happening, you know, in 1987. Uh, still, uh, that was the summer that Reagan gave the speech in front of the Berlin Wall and told uh, Gorbachev to tear down this wall. Yeah. Um, the uh, the the Dow Jones was riding high, so we were like at the point where you know that 1980s wealth, you know, uh, capitalism was at its highest. 
uh, peak, perhaps, you know, because very soon we're going to have Black Monday uh, happen in 1987. And that kind of, you know, kick, uh, cuts off the legs of, of, uh, of that type of uh, era for a little bit. Uh, Michael Jackson's Bad had just come out in August 1987. Ooh, bad. Yeah. Um, and then like right before this episode came out was, uh, the first time the Pope visited California, uh, which was weird for me because that was almost as big of an event for my mother as it was the, uh, the, the debut of, of this new Star Trek, right? Like that, for some reason, the Pope coming to California, we talked about in my house a lot, uh, and nobody really cared about it, but everybody was really excited for the, uh, uh, you know, the premiere of, of next generation. Uh, with Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, I remember the Pope coming. That was huge. I kind of equated it with the uh, Charles and Diana wedding. Yeah. Like, it it was two things. I didn't quite understand why everybody was so into it, but everybody was so into it. Yeah. Yeah, it was was before internet. It was even before the CNN, you know, 24-hour news cycle, right? So stories like that had a lot of play because it was, you know, uh, an event. Yeah, that's so. It's funny you bring up those things being important because I was in Germany, mm. and they weren't important at all. <laughs> you were uh, at a, a military base, right? I uh, yes, yeah. My dad was in the army, and I graduated from Stuttgart American High School in Stuttgart, Germany. So how did that? Yeah, how did uh, you were saying you didn't get Star Trek over there until later? But was there an idea about what Star Trek was? I mean, because it is modeled after the after the idea of the armed there. forces right i mean i watched so i watched all this the original shows and the movies i don't remember if there was a lot of talk about who star trek is coming out specifically like in a broad sense like it was in like murmurs among amongst my friends in high school but i had to have come across it in the uh you know we had like one big it was called armed forces network afn uh, uh magazine that came out and showed you everything that was coming on in the month uh, and, right. and the shows there came on, uh, there's no commercials. So a show is like 17 minutes. So it'd be like at, uh, you know, 1917, the show ends. And then you have a little blurb, which might be like, watch what you say. Anybody could be listening. And like eyes darting back and forth and people writing down like what you see in a crossword puzzle and putting it together. And now they can blow up the world and stuff like those were wow. our commercials. And then really, uh, oh yeah, yeah. They were public service announcements. You know, here's the co- scoop on coupons and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> coupons yeah. and right. and don't be overheard by foreign. Right, actors. right. Oh yeah. Wow. No, there was like the, the the scene was you're in a gas house and you're just talking with your friends and there's a a, a suspicious looking kind of Russian looking person in the booth next to you and everything you say they're just writing stuff down. It's like you never know wow. who's listening. That is a totally different mindset. I wonder, did, how, what, what did they think about the idea of Star Trek? Like, you know, like, do, do would it, was it respected? Was it like, oh, that's a joke. That's not how the real military would work in the future. I don't future. know like, if the Germans, I don't know. Are you talking about like the, the military in general? I mean, it was. Yeah, the other service members that you were, you know, oh, I mean, around, uh, right? There as was a the, kid, you know, grow, I grew up on, on military. I was born and raised, like born on military hospital, raised on military bases until I went to college. Uh, and I don't know that anybody really identified as like, oh, I'm an army person just because I live mm. in this world. In fact, I often argue I grew up in the perfect socialist society because everything was paid for. Like our education, our electricity bills, our rent, like 
we the only things we had to pay for were luxury things like cable and taxes but we didn't pay for anything else uh, you know medicine all of that was was given to us by your parents. so the idea <laughs> the idea of the utopia of of the 24th century is was not that far off I guess. And yeah, and it wasn't in my face. Like I wasn't, uh, oh, I'm, I'm living a utopian life. But I also, like when I saw military things, I didn't judge it. You know, like when I saw Star Trek, I was, uh, uh, I was just utterly impressed. Like, oh, I get to see special effects on my little screen. Like I'm only used to seeing on the big screen. That was, to me, it was like, this is super cool. Like it's not, uh, I, I can't see the paper exploding in the you know like you see on like mystery science theater effects like <laughs> that's how tv was for sci-fi for a long time or they cheated you with like kit where right that wasn't a big special effect that was just a blinking light in the dashboard and you know the guy from magnum pi <laughs> so was, and then you can edit together to make it look good he was more of a matt houston type but I'm with oh were they not the same person i thought it was the same actor I do that all the time. We'll just imagine it to be true. Uh, but there are a lot of amazing, uh, you know, performers and actors who show up in Star Trek over the years. You know, of course, the main staff, which uh, we'll get to talking about their introduction of their characters soon. But yeah, it was uh, this episode was written by uh, DC Fontana, a woman and Gene Robinberry, the two uh, uh, collaborators on this. Um, I think this was a really tough episode to write for them, at least what I've been able to glean from from what reading interviews, um, because it had to encompass so much. Uh, but they didn't have the pressure of it being a pilot, right? And I think it's important to know that that Fontana wrote the far, Encounter Farpoint portion of the show. That was a that was a episode by itself, uh, and then they because like you had mentioned earlier the studios wanted more time that's when roddenberry inserted the q storyline so that was that's how it expanded out so it's yeah it's two totally different it's like two songs that are just being joined together uh and they have similar rhythm so it, it kind of works but there is a little bit of discord there which is uh plays into q himself so a little bit of kiss very true uh, and she was on the original Star Trek, which I think is, you know, she... Right, she wrote some, wrote of, the some of the original series. series. So, yeah, what did you guys think about the the kind of way this was put together? I'll throw it to you, Kate, as like, you know, how it's a, an almost impossible task because you yeah. have to introduce so many different new themes. It's not, you know, as you said, it's not, not the old Star Trek. It's so new, but it also has to be an entertaining story at the same time. Right. I think they do an excellent job with introducing the crew and they take their time throughout those two hours. So our first half, we get to see, you know, or, or for the first at least 30 to 35 minutes where there's no Riker, there's no Beverly, there's no, you know, we're not on Farpoint yet. So we're really getting to meet just a few people. Um, and I was amazed at how much was actually uh, that they already knew and had established in the first episode. So they established things like that Jordy is in pain from his... Uh, eye apparatus mm. right there in the very first episode. They establish that all Data wants to be is human. They establish that all Wesley wants to do is get on 
the deck, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to be on the bridge. And just how much of that must have been laid out is pretty amazing, considering it was the first episode, how much they had really fleshed those characters out. Not to mention the sexual tension. Mm-hmm. Can we two, talk about there's at least that two, first meeting uh, of Troy and Riker? Mm-hmm. Come on now! Mm-hmm. And a little bit of, you know, and then there's that little bit of unsaid stuff between Picard and Crusher, and then there's young 11-year-old me seeing <laughs> Wesley Crusher for the first time and just blossoming into a young woman. About Wesley, oh. I did not remember them... Uh, quaffing him and making him up and dressing him as much like a young leading man as they did in the first few episodes. Like, he's got cheekbones and, like, glowing makeup and stuff. I'm like, they changed the trajectory of his character by making him more nerdy in later yeah. episodes when they put him in the in the uniform, and I hadn't remembered that. Arguably, he was one of the most famous people at that time yeah. to be in the cast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Stand by me. Mm-hmm. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Troy looks like a full-on go-go dancer, though, in that first episode. She's got those long boots and that short blue dress. Short blue dress, Very y'all. Short. And I noticed, I had never noticed this before, at the very, very, the very final shot of the entire episode, Tasha is standing behind the console and she is wearing those go-go boots and obviously wearing a skirt. What? It's true. What? Wow. I freaked out. I'm going to go back and look for that. <laughs> I wonder if that's one of those things where they just shot because it, it is a, one of those iconic things where it does the pullback and you see the whole crew. And I wonder if they just shot a whole bunch of those with various costumes as like costume tests and they just right. end up using that shot. Oh, right. Because remember, I did you read the, how they didn't have enough costumes and so they had to borrow costumes from Deep Space Nine in order to film the uh, encounter at Farpoint? They had run out and so they used... From Deep Space Nine? The, there, no, no, no. no. Who, well, what am I yet. talking about then? The the submarine show. I don't think it was around yet either. The Roy yeah. Scheider, Battlestar Galactica, oh. Sea Se- Quest, Sea Quest. That's what I was thinking of. They they look they look kind no, of no, like it was Roger Star Wars Z or Star Trek. But I'll, I'll do this a lot where I read something and then I conflate it. Maybe it was with something maybe else. It was, I read. Uh, one of the movies because it was still Paramount. It was still Paramount shooting this, so it's possible that they borrowed from one of the movies. Or you could be talking about the last episode. No, it might have been the movie that they did that when they finally did their first movie or something and they wanted new uniforms and they had to borrow from another show. Well, those uniforms are amazing. Uh, as someone, it, it was actually it threw me off a little bit when I first saw them, right? The, uh, the like having to pull down the, was it the Picard maneuver when he pulls yeah. down his thing? Like it was apparent from, from this episode. I was thinking, I was watching the, uh, the tribunal scene. Yeah where they go with Q and I felt like all of the extras look like they were in a, like a, a steampunk version of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was terrified by that scene as a kid. Yes. It felt really, uh, I don't know, visceral, especially when they like, they, they shoot the, the guard and like everyone's screaming. Even when my kids were watching it, they were like, why do they think it's funny to watch people die? Uh, but yeah, no, I was terrified by it. It, it, the the kind of 
cruelty and the, the idea that this was, you know, the future that humans were, were about to go through. Um, in 1987, uh, you know, if we talk about watching it now versus today, like those were really big themes that there was going to be a nuclear holocaust when Russia and the U.S. attacked each other in the Cold War. Like that was like what we dealt with. And seeing this in the, you know, this usually upbeat sci-fi show uh, was was terrifying. I will say it, it reminded me of, of Time Bandits, uh, that, that scene that we're talking about right there. But that scene where people from all different uh, points of history, uh, you're, you're talking about the uh, nuclear holocaust, all of that kind of stuff, at the end of Time Bandits, when they're all coming from different points of history and there's that one central fascist character, like this scene made me think of one of my favorite movies at the time, and it really hooked me the first time I watched it. For those reasons, terrifying. Terrifying. Kate, what did you think of of this scene, but also just Q in general and how uh, uh, this whole idea of of humanity on trial uh, was presented? I just love it. I think it's his his first entrance. Well, first entrance into the ship is obviously uh, very dramatic. The sort of chain link fence almost comes around the the ship. Mm. But that first entrance into the tribunal, when he's on that sedan, basically that you know, the city that moves down, oh, yeah. you know, and he's wearing that gorgeous red mm-hmm. and black outfit. I mean, it's just so iconic and just so, and also just um, having that sort of trickster character uh, in the very first uh, episode who is going to kind of keep them honest. Um, Cause here's the deal. He's not wrong. He's not that wrong. Uh, the, yeah. the, the things that he levies against humanity He's pretty spot on about. So it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that, you know, 20 years later, give or take a little bit, um, you've got somebody right from the first episode questioning the morality of the of the mission itself and Mm. questioning whether or not, you know, they should be allowed to further explore. I don't know, just really raises those stakes. He's from the Tempest. He's any number of Midsummer Night's Dream. It, it, the fairies come out and they say humans are much worse than us monsters and show us ourselves. And part of what's great about this is, you know, these characters have a moral center that some of the the people in plays like that didn't necessarily and can respond to that with, well, yeah, but we're trying. And, you know, the, the kind of arguments were so positive and optimistic in a way that sometimes... The, the responses to those characters aren't the indictment of the uh, and the portrayal of John Delancey, how he changes his demeanor and acting style with every costume change he does in that opening scene is so spot on. And I love that when he's got the, um, you know, the U S military outfit on the uniform, right. And he, you know, he's almost doing like lines from um, apocalypse now or something and how he delivers them. Uh, and, you know, those that was almost like a, a, a direct commentary on the types of movies and other media that were out there. And the fact that per- Picard's like, we're not like that. You know, not when we wore stupid costumes like that, did we <laughs> did we act <laughs> that way? And I'm like, oh, that's now he's talking of us, uh, us now. Uh, I read a review that uh, asserted the Q character was really uh, putting TNG on trial and not humanity because Ooh. it was a new cast. Uh, and it was comparing the old to the new, and it was uh, a way of introducing the, the the differences between the two. 
Well, let's talk about that because, you know, Captain Jean-Luc Picard is extremely different of a captain than Captain James Tiberius Kirk, right? Right. Not uh, muscular, not in the action, not the a part of the away team. He actually sits on back in the ship like a captain probably would and lets other people do most of the dangerous work. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because I do. I, I remember that as being uh, a good scene because you get to talk. You know, basically they they had to insert that whole explanation of of Riker, uh, inter, you know, talking to Picard about what he had done on his previous command, right? And how it was like, no, it's my thing that captains should should be in safety at all time, and that almost seemed like a direct commentary to to what you're talking about that this is going to be a very different captain than than Kirk. Right. Well, it's uh, to me, it's looking back like if you're a writer, you wrote something when you were a, a younger man in the 60s and it was great. It gave you a lot of success. And, that, and then you have some movies. It's like, of course, you're going to think about how how could I do it different if I get another chance? Like, mm. what are the things that maybe I I missed on? Um, and, you know, going with the opposites is always the easiest. <laughs> if your captain was, you know, full of bravado and uh you know over the top then you you go with something different and he didn't want to go with something different roddenberry he did not want he wanted another captain kirk um and he couldn't find it they're just the the people that the actors he brought in struck out they just couldn't deliver and you know but uh patrick stewart did and eventually he relented and and then we got you know somebody who now we can't imagine uh, TNG without Picard. I mean, it, it's so sure. iconic that only he got a spinoff series <laughs> after TNG. You know, like that's uh, that's how big of a deal he was. So far, right? So far, right? So far. We really want that... to see what that home life with Riker and uh, Serena is. <laughs> I have to say, as a as a eleven twelve year old, I had uh, matching photos on my wall. Uh, one of Jean-Luc and one of Wesley and wow. they were side by side and I spoiler alert would talk to them when things would get rough oh yeah that is uh, amazing now's probably as good time as any to tell to tell the quick story of when uh, I met Will Wheaton mm-hmm. um I was I was at a, a celebrity uh, uh, uh charity auction uh, to raise money. It was like a rock band uh, charity auction put on by the Penny Arcade guys back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was people signing up to play rock band, but for charity. And this guy gets up on guitar and I lose my shit because it's very much Will Wheaton. Uh, just in downtown Ballard of all, or no, it's Fremont. Um so I freak out. I'm Seattleite, so I'm not going to talk to him. But my friend <laughs> grabs him and says, oh, we're huge fans. And he looks and smiles. And I flat out just look at him and say, I used to have a photo of you on my wall in junior high, and I used to talk to it. <laughs> and God bless him. He looked at me and said, did I talk back? And I said, sometimes. And then I ran away. That is adorable. Yeah, ran away. Nice. Yeah. And now he has a picture of you on his That's wall. right. That's right. And he talks Damn to it. you. And he will. During hard times. 
I was was he like the like you know the friend or boyfriend type figure that you talked to, and then Picard was the father figure? Oh God, no, no! I was madly in love with both of them, oh. very evenly. <laughs> did they fight over you? Uh, they, did they fight over me? No, they just gave me different kinds of love and counsel. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. I love that. <laughs> I don't think we would have had that same uh, reaction with uh, Captain Kirk and one of the crew, right? No, because Kirk was too much of a just uh, love you and leave you. That's right. Yeah, Kirk ain't about to raise a kid. He's got places to be. But Picard very clearly states in this that he doesn't like children. And he's uncomfortable around them. But they're so drawn to him. He's so warm at first. (laughs) Uh, And and then he's... uh, uh, asking to get some help from 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 Riker and other parts of the crew and 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 uh you know overcoming this but it does it is one of those things uh, like you were saying Kate that like just sets up so many stories uh for the future yeah. one of the reasons why this is an expert episode uh but then let's talk a little bit about uh counselor Troy uh because she is one of the few characters that seems very different and this role as far as i know didn't re- exist in any other incarnation of star trek yet this idea of a, a counselor and an advisor to the captain mm-hmm. right and i had no idea what the word empathic means meant until <laughs> until she said she was an empath I was like what the fuck is that <laughs> well right but didn't didn't we all learn all of our fancy words from sci-fi growing up i anyway? did a lot yes it <laughs> empathy i I was like what i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) i think that's it's another one of those uh things are going to be different moments where when you're first introduced to her that she is sitting uh to the to the left hand side of the captain Mm. that's that's how important her role is uh it is a really interesting sort of gauntlet to throw down in in the first episode yeah that's great Kay. i didn't uh, that because in the, the three seats are equal you know, yeah. it's not the one big power seat in the middle and everyone else stands around you. It's three seats that are equal footing, um, really, in the new Star Trek. So it, that, again, is this is a little bit different. Is this a standard office that every starship has and fills counselor to the captain? Or is that a specific thing for the USS Enterprise under Captain Jean-Luc Picard? Ooh, good question. I, I actually... Because th- I don't think there's another one in Deep Space Nine or in Voyager or any of those. I don't Memory think there's Alpha. a counselor. Gotta check it out. No, I, I, I think, think you're so. right. But but I think of this crew as iconic as being like, oh, well, there must be you know roles like this duplicated throughout. Um, but maybe it's because of their right. specific mission was to seek out new life and new civilizations uh, more yeah. so than other ships. So they realized they needed someone who was an expert at diplomacy, right? Uh, can we say I was surprised? I had forgotten that Colm is in that first episode. Yes, they don't. He's not introduced as O'Brien, but he's absolutely in that first episode. That was very exciting. When he repeatedly says "Transporter Chief, Transporter Chief," and I'm just like, I mean, his name's Miles, <laughs> but I mean, he's not at this point. He's not in the transporter room the whole time. Yeah, he's he's just basically one of the uh, the crew members on the Cubs, battle bridge. Yeah. Um, but I think he... Yeah, he's Battle Bridge uh, Navigator or something like that. I can't remember what he is. In the, in the credits? I think he's comms. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, yes, I love seeing him. And there's you know funny facts that he's the one of the few uh, 
uh, cast members to be both in the first episode and the last episode of this one, as well as uh, for Deep Space Nine. He's the only actor who is in the first and final episodes of both of those series. Oh, wow. That's fun. Uh, Not to mention a heck of an independent film career. There's definitely a, a trend, as I said, of, of actors getting their first jobs, uh, possibly even their SAG cards from Star Trek's Next Generation. Uh, uh, Cole Meany is one. Uh, I don't know if he, he you know, was the first part, but he definitely is someone that you see in movies and stuff going forward. Uh, Michael Bell, who plays Zorn, uh, is, you know, the, the guest star of this episode, um, has a crazy career. He's done so many things over over the years, including video game voiceovers. Uh, and as we were saying before we started recording, he's in the Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. So exciting. With Judd Nelson. And Orson <laughs> Welles. Orson Welles, his final movie. And Leonard Nimoy. So and Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy. To bring it back to Streck. Streck. I'm, just, I'm shortening to Streck now. <laughs> Streck is pretty good. <laughs> There's too many syllables in Star Trek. Uh, so uh, my uh, introduction to um, some more of these characters I really enjoyed. We got, we got to see Jordy LaForge uh, and him discussing his visor uh, with uh, Beverly Crusher. Um, I love I love his you know little bits here. Uh, even though we don't get too much other than he can see stuff that other people can't see, even though he's blind. And he's wearing a straight up banana oh, clip yes. over his right. over his eyes. Right. I wore I wore one of those in my hair during that exact time period. Right. They didn't even try to hide that it's what it was. No. They spray painted it silver and put little LED light things there. That might have been the most uh, tech savvy thing they had. <laughs> it's the little light thing where it clipped in. Oh, he had to just dread the days where they had him in those white contact lenses, yeah. didn't he? Oh, I'm sure. But um, his character goes so many other places but again you kind of get that like you know forlorn uh but you know plucky character that you know you're gonna see uh pop up uh, in in future stories you get a little bit from uh michael dorn as wharf um do we learn at this point how what his history and background is is he half klingon is that what comes out later he's no, he is full He's Klingon, full Klingon, but he was raised by humans. He was adopted, mm. yeah. Because the Romulans destroyed the Klingon base. That's right, Moog. Because I have my Worf son of Moog figure around here somewhere. Oh, yeah. So speaking of that, it, when I was Love in college, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Shannon Mahoney and I used to have a thing uh, from Star Trek, The Next Generation, that we saw on tour around the state of Wyoming, uh, Teaching people about AIDS education, we watched an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Worf's son says, I accept your challenge, father. <laughs> and that became one of our things that to this day on Facebook will say, I accept your challenge. <laughs> Wasn't that Brian Bonsall? Yes, from, uh, oh shoot, what was, what, family ties or? I didn't know he did anything else. That's exciting. Oh yeah, before this. Yeah, he was already quite an established child actor. He was the kid you put in a TV show um, back then to uh, pretend to pretend that you still have a few more seasons left in it, like the cousin from Brady mm, uh, Bunch, yeah, cousin Oliver. I, I believe accept your in, challenge. In the I accept your challenge to segue out of this. 
I think in this first season of Star Trek Next Generation, you'll actually meet uh, Alexander's mother uh, and, and, and see how that, that whole kind of subplot begins uh, for, for future seasons, which is, which is a great joy going back with the knowledge of where stories end up and going and watching them. I mean, we, you know, we mentioned how we talked uh, about Picard. So all the episodes uh, or, and parts of this episode that deal with Data and his history and where he came from um, are, are huge. I think Brent Spiner does an amazing job in, in you know, getting the oddities of this character out there in a way that, I mean, we also have to acknowledge that Spock was a big part of the original series and, and how it uh, was accepted by audiences as being the one alien. And in some ways, Data maybe was in the writing leading up to this episode, but was, oh, this is going to be the Spock-like character who's... There's that beautiful moment with DeForest Kelly yes. where where you know we get to we get to hear about the similarities between data and spock a little bit it's just and there's a moment where those two they finish talking and they walk down the down the hall together and i just want them to hold hands so bad just so badly that's all i wanted data could have because he's fully functional (laughs) (laughs) can we talk about beverly being just straight up cold as ice to Riker when she first meets him and how it's just baller as fuck. <laughs> like she could not be bothered with this dreamy. And there he is with a chin cleft that you could take a bath in. And she just gives zero shits. And Wesley calls her on it. Yes. It's beautiful. It is so good. Uh, I, I love that. It, she's just immediately like asserts. She's like, nah, I'm the ship's doctor. Like, you know, don't involve me in your in your ways to impress the captain. Yeah, calls him out on it totally. Well, and she doesn't want to get involved with the captain because you know he delivered the dead body of her husband. <laughs> so there's some Although, history there, right? She requested the the transfer. That's true. So she's attracted to that. I bet you she had his picture on her wall too, Kate, and was talking <laughs> <That's> to <right>. him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, so uh, I feel like we're missing. We talked about Otasha Yar is the one that we definitely need to talk about, and, and Riker, and uh, Jimmy. How I know you had some some thoughts about how her oh, yeah. portrayal. Well, I just rewatched that scene tonight. This very eve, I watched the opening of that scene um, when the uh, Q first shows up. Which, ironically, I think not ironically, but it's amazing that within the first five minutes of the brand new show you're immediately introduced into a character who's not going to be around all the time you know like they didn't spend the whole episode just introducing the characters like we don't meet Riker for like 30 minutes into it but you meet Q almost out of the gate uh and then you know there's just a really terrible acting moment where Tasha Yar is you can almost see her planted and for people listening, I'm actually acting this out. I'm, I'm silently planted now. I'm waiting looks for real my good. cue. I'm listening to the other actor. I hear it, and I say, Captain, allow me to remove this person! And she gets cut off because Captain Picard says no. And that's it. So to me, as a master actor, I uh, <laughs> look at that and I'm like, this... This person decided exactly what she was going to do. And it didn't matter what anybody else did. 
she had her choice made and it had nothing to do with the other or what was actually happening around her uh it, it was uh and what's the, the stark comparison is it was a beginner actor thing of, i gotta be really big without any real justification but then when you see picard later on arguing his stuff it's uh See, this is a real cry that you hear. There is that, tragedy. That is real. That is based in the stomach. It's based on the other. It's uh, it's it's so, all very uh, natural. Her acting choices are so much better. It was very um, rudimentary, and I blame not only her but the director who allowed that to go on. It's like let's maybe dial that back a little bit here. What did you think about her speech during the, the trial as well, where that one was the one that feels the most off where she's like, I grew up in a place like this and I don't like that. You're doing what was like when I grew up. Right. That, it, it, to me, it felt like it was, this was, she was thinking of the Emmy that she thought she might get with that material <laughs> rather than about really was because I mean, there's a lot of what Picard says that I think is like, this is really, it's not great writing. It's like, this is the, the first argument you come up with when you're trying to defend how humanity has grown and changed. But mm. in the instrument that is Patrick Stewart he finds a way for it to sound it, like he's le he's living believably under imaginary circumstances. Whereas Tasha is just like, I'm living, I'm trying to be the best actor I can be. So it's just a stark comparison with, you know, Patrick Stewart doing the same thing. And then this young Tasha Yar. Uh, so immediately when I resaw it, I don't remember what I felt like when I originally saw that I probably it didn't even affect me. I was like, oh, that's, she's angry. Of course she'd be angry. This is, why wouldn't you be angry? Somebody's on your, your bridge. Uh, and when I watched it recently, I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think, Eric, of uh, overall acting choices uh, by some of the cast members? Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting. I, I think both in the writing and the acting, everybody changed quite a bit over the course of the of the show, which, of course, you're supposed to when it takes place over the course of six years, but it doesn't always happen uh, in a TV show. But I was I was struck by just how kind of stern and uncommunicative uh, Jean-Luc is in these first couple episodes mm -hmm. and how quickly they're like, well, that's not going to work over a long period of time. So we'll warm him up enough to be human within four or five episodes and then we'll make that the baseline and i think it was an interesting choice i i i'm really impressed because i know that they didn't have the kind of budget invested into this to have much rehearsal they certainly didn't do a ton of takes from a ton of different directions i'm really, I'm really impressed, impressed by data in particular uh and how fully formed that character is because you can't add ticks to him later. You can't add mm. much of anything to him later outside of some timing things. That is how that actor eventually does the emotional aspects of what he does. He doesn't make the emotional faces except this lore, but like he does it all with timing and kind of pitch in that calm delivery of his. And I think it's one of the great performances in television history because there were so few previous performances to draw on outside of someone like Spock, you know. It's a brilliant point. Thank you. <laughs>
Well, as a physical actor myself, <laughs> no, it's, fuck it, he's amazing in it. The the little the little kind of hydraulic ticks that he doesn't overdo, yes. uh, which are then called back and made much bigger when Lore does them. Like yes. it's super cool, super cool choices all the way through. I think one thing you mentioned, which was an interesting contrast from both the first series and explains a lot of what's happening in this pilot, is that um, these characters uh, don't know each other, right? There's a lot of getting to know each other. And in the original series, it, it was already they were already in the middle of their five-year mission, if I remember correctly. So like there was always history, and they knew each other ahead of time. And, and, and it was all, all that camaraderie was supposed to be there from the beginning. And I don't think this cast really gels for like two seasons. Honestly, it takes a long time for them to get, uh, you know, both, uh, you know, working with the writing staff and the production staff to kind of get under their feet. Um, but it's masked a little bit in the fact that these characters are also getting to know each other and they're figuring out their roles and how they're going to fit on the thing. Um, and Marina Sirtis, I think I, I read that she, was so embarrassed by her performance in this uh, episode that she like left the premiere uh, viewing with her with her boyfriend at the time. It was like, nope, I can't see those people. I got to see them on Monday, and I am super disappointed with how that that whole thing went. Um, and so I think there was a lot of like not knowing what was right and what was good. Right. Uh, well, it's a really as they're shooting and thing, filming. Right. Like her opening, where she's like, Captain, I'm sensing. <laughs> A very strong mind. It's uh, th those lines by themselves are are very difficult. Most of the things she she just repeats pain over and over again. Right. And I tell you, that bitch can cry though. <laughs> <laughs> She's a well, and I, you know what, what a what a position to put an actor in. And so many actors, you know, feel the need to cry when they're crying and and can't. Right. You know, it's always hard to disassociate yourself with those uh, emotions that want to come up at times like this. And they put her through the ringer more than certainly more than anybody else in the show in terms of making her always feel the, the hand of dread on her shoulder compared to what everybody else had to go through. It's fascinating to watch. Yeah. And some of the actors, you know, grew into the role and were able to feel comfortable within it um, over the course of this whole season and, and, and to the next but some didn't, and we'll get into talk about that. And I think that's pretty valid. And, and you know, Jimmy, you calling out Tasha Yar, uh, Denise Crosby's performance. I, I think, <laughs> I think in some ways she just never really felt comfortable uh, saying sci-fi lines uh, in a way that could be transcendent, like the way you know Patrick Stewart or right. eventually by the end uh, right. uh, Marina Sirtis and others were able to do. Well, and that's a. I mean, that's a, maybe she did. I, I don't know what her block was, but. Uh... You know, a line is a line is a line, whether it's uh, Shakespeare or daytime soaps or sci-fi, you, you know, as an actor, your job is to approach it the same way uh, and give it the same levity as you would anything else. So, you know, I don't I don't forgive her that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let her know. <laughs> Craig, we one thing we've not talked about yet is Riker in general, but also the fact that he has to manually dock the ship yes, thank in you. a in an amazing <laughs> trial by fire. And when he finishes the that, dexterity, every single person on that deck 
wants to fuck him. They all. <laughs> like, I thought they, they all, all orgasmed. I thought they were all like, "We, this is it. Thanks, Riker." Like every single one of them, including Data, gives him a oh hell. Oh no, Worf. I think is the biggest. Is like, mm, mm. how's your? How are you now? You never had Klingon dick, but you about to. <laughs> You know this the ridges? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna use my ridges. I'm gonna use my ridges on you. <laughs> no, but I Riker in this is amazing. His 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 well, let's talk about it. his doing it manually is just being like move one degree to the left. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> right. Right. That scene, and I, I, after reading that they they had to extend the episode from what they wanted to do was an hour, and they had to extend it longer. That scene feels like the most uh, Star Trek motion picture out of all of this, where it just was like, "Oh, yes. we're just gonna have eighteen minutes of ships ship porn. Let's do it." Yeah, but <laughs> is this where I admit that Star Trek the motion picture is my favorite of the pictures? Because it is. What? So we can we can move right past that if you want, but it absolutely is. I think it's I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's the most seventies uh, sci-fi out of all of them, right? Like there it, you go. It feels like a two thousand one <laughs> uh, or you know that kind of level of cinematicness. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because it's directed by Robert Wise, who did West Side Story and and. Uh, the haunting and uh, uh, Andromeda Strain and um, the uh, what do those movies uh, have in common? The... Him? Well, they're all they're they're really well shot. It, it really it's the visuals mm. as much as anything else. I think the not just the camera work, but the visuals of uh, actors working together. Like I, I think it's incredibly well directed, and I think that's why I like it. Um, but the day the earth the day the earth stood still was is the first big one that and then this was one of his last ones and I I just think it really holds up if you look at it through those terms. I agree, I agree for sure. But one thing that's great about watching these remasters on Netflix of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation is those effects really do, with a little bit of fine tuning, look awesome. It holds up. It really does. Yeah, and you can see that sort of the they're the first step in um, what would become this new way of showing you alien worlds, and that's the painted backdrop, but in with a lot of detail and some depth. And uh, again, that wasn't something you got a lot of. In fact, for for me, my experience was a lot of um, funny, but. <laughs> really poorly produced British sci-fi where it was like, they were like, they made a joke of, okay, this is a bubblegum machine. <laughs> Pretend it's a robot. <laughs> and it's a really right. like this robot can destroy the universe. So it's, it's a big deal. Exterminate. It's a bubblegum machine, but it can destroy the universe. Uh, and they went a little further with that, with uh, um, showing you a more immersive world, which is cool when you can look at something like oh yeah i don't have to use my imagination you're gonna do it for me that's uh it's relaxing i agree it 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 had the look of more cinematic earlier films like things like outland or um even something you know like uh, logan's run like Mm -hmm. the 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 art direction was fuller than you're used to seeing on tv um uh, fuller than you expect 
expecting to see on TV with the entire uh, right. design of the city showing up in one shot. That's just not what you expect. But and Eric, some of the films that did it earlier really lended that. Logan's Run, written by DC Fontana. No way, really? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yes. I didn't remember that. That that movie has one of my favorite lines, which is "Run, runner." <laughs> 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 I forgot that. That's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> it's oh, all right. It. Call it what it is. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> this episode uh, does conclude with you know a, kind of a sci-fi, you know, a hard sci-fi kind of bit with the you know that the fact that this alien was enslaved uh, uh, or forced to create the the star base that was you know the whole thing that you're trying to figure out what's happening at Farpoint, right? Um, but man, though, even though we're talking about the effects, those jellyfish creatures yeah, at the ends, they're, they're pretty bad. They're bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I go back to being 11. <laughs> Everybody knows you don't do jellyfish. You don't do jellyfish. You don't do jellyfish in space. It's nobody's ever done it successfully. Um, all right, so we've covered about pretty much everything, uh, and I mentioned how I've been watching this with my kids uh, because it's, uh, you know, going back in time uh, for me, uh, going and visiting what's happening in this first episode of this pilot. So I wanted to see if they would have the same effect uh, on them. You know, they like they like a lot of the same things I like. You know, we watch Harry Potter together and Star Wars and and uh, uh, the Marvel movies and things like that. So I think they were, they were primed and ready for Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, I, I, I actually did a little segment of talking to them about it, and I wanted to show it, share it with you guys. So here is me talking to uh, Edna and Fiona about watching this first episode. Who plays the mind-controlling games? Mind-controlling games? What do you mean? The mind controller, who's like the girl, who plays the girl that's mind controlling. Oh, that. She's not mind controlling. Marina Sirtis is her name. Marina Sirtis. This is Kid Trek, where we talk to my daughters, Fiona Tito, who's seven. Say hi. Hi. And Edna Tito, who's nine. Hello. And I'm excited to talk to them about them watching Encounter at Farpoint because I was nine when the first episode came out in 1987. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, talk about Star Trek The Next Generation because it was so formative for me and I wanted to find out about you guys. So what what do you think about, uh, what did you think about Star Trek before you watched this? Well, I knew that it was, was kind of like Star Wars, but different. And that... Uh, like, I kind of knew what they looked like. What about you, Fiona? I always thought it was just like a different version of Star Tre- of um, Star Wars. Let's talk about the characters. What do you guys think about uh, the captain, Jean-Luc Picard? He's got a bald head. You were saying earlier that he uh, he's always telling people what to do. <laughs> I feel like he's always mad. <laughs> <laughs> he mad always has a straight face. I f- he's just like, he never has a smile. Do you, he even sad. says how he doesn't like kids in the episode. Wah, wah. But yeah, Wesley Crusher is a uh, teenager. Uh, what is he, like yeah. 14 or 15 in this episode? Uh, he's the one who wears sweaters, right? He's the one who wears uh, weird-looking sweaters, yeah. Sweaters. <laughs> and he's intimidated by Captain Jean-Luc Picard, too. Yeah. He's on the computer thing, and he's like, 
Percy's like, oh my gosh. And then he's like, get over there. You're not supposed to touch anything. He does yell at him. And, right? then, yeah. and then the mom was like, as my son was trying to tell you. Yeah, what did you think about Beverly Crusher? What did you think about her? I did think she's a strong woman. I like her. Yeah? Yeah. I think she's really epic. You think she's, she's like, epic? She's like a mom and she's she has like a kid and she's just so like... Like the captain, she's like, well, this happened. Like, <laughs> in like that way. What is that way? Bossy. Is, is, it, is it bossy? Like, he's like bossy. Be like, as my son was trying serious, to tell you. Serious, serious. Like serious. He was like, mm. yeah, as my son was trying to tell you. Did you get the connection that they had? That that the captain was the one who told Wesley Crutcher that his, his dad had passed away while on a mission? Remember? Yeah. yeah. Like they sort of knew him and it was kind of awkward, but like... He did good for them, but they're still not really friends. A really cool part in the movie is when they go into somehow that forest place. Yeah, the holodeck. What do you think about the holodeck? Well, it's it's most of it is real, but it's not exactly all like go anywhere you want it. Yeah, in the holodeck. What do you guys think about Commander Riker? He's the the you called him the general before. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. Why'd you call him the general, Edna? He's like the second in command, pretty much. Cause if the captain's got like goes on like a trip, or for for example, mm-hmm. the captain gets injured or goes on a trip, or or goes on a big mission, then he takes over the ship. Right, and that happens in this episode when yeah. the captain gives the command to the Klingon, gives it to Lieutenant Worf. Remember, he's like, you have the bridge. You take the saucer section. They separated the ships. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And oh. Uh, Worf was like, I cannot leave my commander. So what did you think about Worf, the alien with the forehead? Oh, oh I, like I think that he's like, like, he's cool. <laughs> he's I like cool. his story. Yeah, I also really like that's um blind right yeah, Jordy LaForge really cool yeah I really yeah. like the blind thing the visor the visor yeah. and he has like these things put in his to his head for the visor to like like magnets right you head. were asking about that a lot yeah why what because that was always really enticing to me as a child too the fact that he has these like LED red, lights like, on his it's, temples it's like red lights just like going off and on and then yeah. it just like you put the thing on it's like like magic was that scary to you it was scary it was just like cool and i heard that he he doesn't exactly see the actual colors what did you think of those like implants yeah i think they were like fascinating Mm. they worked as magnets but they weren't magnets yeah yeah they were like a connection point my dad was telling me that the really cool thing about it is that they can see stuff that that are invisible or like Stuff like that. You can see it with his um, blind glasses. It's really cool because he's like a big help to the team. So the feelings girl. Yeah, so Deanna Troy. What did you think of Deanna Troy? I really like her power. I would love that power. It's kind of like super empathy. She helps out a lot because she can sense that something's wrong. Like that with like out of nowhere. She's, like, a nice person because she can feel how you feel and, like, um, know when you're feeling sad so that you can help. She's, she's strange. You think she's strange? She's, she's not exactly. Well, she's half alien. She's half beta Z. She's strange and, like, suddenly she just, like, something I feel, like, 
powerful mind or something like that. She does say that a I lot. It's true. That, that happens a bunch. Um, so Data, Lieutenant Commander Data, what did you think of the android? I think he's really cool because he's like, what's the word? He's like really like proper. No, he's not proper. It's just like he really listens to the captain. He's like, yes, captain. Like, And he always talks like with like really good posture. <laughs> I think he definitely acts like an alien. <laughs> I he's think... an android, though. He's a machine. He's a robot. Wait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we haven't uh, talked. Tasha Yar, your favorite. Oh. Why is Tasha Yar your favorite? Because she's she can fight, and she's, like, really, like, brave. And and she's really powerful yeah, she because she, she, like, is courageous, and she'll step in front of anyone to take over. And I like her being brave. And I also like her hair a lot. <laughs> <laughs> her hair? Yeah. The short hairstyle is... It is a style. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It is a style. Awesome. So what did you think about the episode as a whole? You know, Would you want to watch more of it? I would want to see all of the episodes and all of the episodes 1,000 times because then it could be like... Mm. Like in some, you want to be a Trekkie? Is what, that what you're some trying to shows, tell me? What did you think of, of Star Trek, uh, Edna, as a whole? It's like, I love, like, I really want to watch it more. Like, what's going to happen next? It's like, it was a cliffhanger. So I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Meaning, like, what what adventures are they going to go on? Yeah. Yeah, because that's it's what like, this did, was it introduced these characters and uh, let you know about them. But then now they can they can walk in their shoes a little bit more. You've got a long, Whoa. long life ahead of you, and I'm excited that I've begun this journey through Star Trek with you guys. Oh, probably. Yeah, so um, definitely watch more of these, and I want to check in with you on what you think. Um, we don't necessarily have to watch all of them, but yeah, this seems tons of fun. Let us say goodbye, and uh, we'll catch up with more Star Trek with Trek Kids soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Edna and Fiona. You are welcome. Mm-hmm. No problem. Wasn't that great, guys? <laughs> I was not expecting so many f bombs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, interesting, Fair right? Enough. My, you know, the fact that Edna, I think her favorite character was Tasha Yar uh, because of her introduction and how That's she fun. immediately wants to kick ass, and yeah. she really resonated with that. I have to say, I resonated with Tasha a lot uh, during that first season. When, when we get to the episode that we all know is coming, yeah. like, it destroyed me. We'll talk about that later. It's worth, it's worth the investigation of, uh, of the skin of evil there because it it's, it's a weird one. It's the, one of the strangest things, uh, how it was played out, right? Because it's not, it's not even at a climax. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get right. there. And and we'll get to a you know, we'll get to the point where she comes back and like that character does her so many more favors as an actor than Tasha ever did. She gets to have so much fun when she yeah. comes back, which is a joy to watch, yeah. For sure. Um But later But later spoilers. I just, that goes in with, with, with what this entire uh, us talking about it as well as uh the show is that it had nostalgia built into it. Not only for us going back, you know, to the 30 years or 40 years from when, when this came out, but you know, it was nostalgic for Trek fans in the eighties, thinking back at the sixties, like it's, it's in some ways, uh, and you mentioning having characters that were in the first season coming back in the later seasons, there's this built in nostalgia machine 
that is kind of running this 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 whole show. I can only remember three or four things that made my dad that happy that weren't like his children or his wife or things like that. Like the fact that this show came back was something he talked about for months beforehand. And then he put six of them on every VHS tape until there weren't any more episodes. And I would come home from school and watch six hours of this show. And I did that just all the time. I went from watching star Wars every day to watching series of star Trek episodes every day while I did my homework and then I didn't touch him for almost 20 years, except as background noise. So this rewatch has been really fun for me so far. I'm noticing so many things I'd either forgotten or was too young to notice the first time. Can, can we just talk about... This says a lot about me, maybe. Hmm. Uh, it was not until this rewatching that I heard, really heard for the first time, that Picard says... Uh, our, it's continuing mission to boldly go where no one has gone before. Mm. I think I had ex- like just heard man in my brain all of these years. It was somehow internalized. I'd forgotten that they made that switch. Well, he wasn't the first one. They did it in the movies before him. They did that in the movie After, in the, right? afterwards in six. Oh, did they? Because Nimoy says it, right? He corrects himself. Kirk does the line from the beginning of the first, uh, the original series, and then he says, "No man, no one has gone before." I think that's he like mm. changes it uh, in the final delivery. And I th- always thought that was a nod to it being done in Next Generation. I think that the most Gen X thing about us is that none of us are doing fact checks in real time on this, even though we're all on computers. That's true. It makes me very happy about it. We're back to bar conversations just because we're not doing that. Like we're going, no, I think it was this. Oh, I think it was this. And I, I, I venture that we keep doing that. <laughs> no, no lookups <laughs> during the podcast. We'll just be like, oh, I love it. No I think it was. That's great. Then we just tweet, tweet all of the shit that we got wrong. <laughs> in a series right. of tweets after we publish it. We'll put it in the show say, notes. I'm sure there's no shortage of people to let us know when we are wrong. <laughs> um, you know, there'll be some some pushing up Ooh. of the glasses <laughs> as it's all happening. Um, but yeah, I am excited to embark on this voyage uh, in re-engage and re-engaging with uh, this next generation. Same as you were saying, Eric, like I haven't watched many of these episodes in, you know, since they were broadcast for the first time as I was watching them with my, with my family. So uh, I'm excited to transport to, to nine-year-old me and, and have all the history and experience I've had over the last few decades kind of inform and, 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 and talk through these, these stories. So uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us on this voyage. If you want to follow what's happening when the next episode is going to be dropping, follow us on Instagram at ReEngageTNG and on Twitter at also at ReEngageTNG because we're just like that. We, we, we re-engage and reiterate our social media handles like professionals do. Uh, but if you guys want to uh, follow each of us personally, I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter and uh, Instagram, uh, Greg underscore Tito. Um, Kate, why don't you let us know where people can follow you? Yeah, I'm at Jaegerlicious mm, on Insta. Are. And, yeah, and I are. I are. <laughs> at Jaegerlicious on both Twitter and Instagram. Eric? I'm at Eric Falls Down. E-R-I-K <laughs> at uh, Twitter and Instagram. 
at Eric Falls Down. And that, if you haven't figured it out from his earlier comment, is a clue that we will be talking about stage combat a little bit more in this series and, and how it works. Hell yeah. Jimmy G, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at the Jimmy G on the Twitters. Uh, you can also find me there uh, on the Insta, but uh, I don't do the Twitter, so you won't find anything there. If you go to my Insta, you're going to find uh, several hundred pictures of beer. So if you like beer, come see me, and uh, you'll have a good time. Uh, I think I said it first, but I'm at Greg Tito. <laughs> You'll follow me and learn about some Dungeons and Dragons things that are happening and maybe see pictures of kids jumping on trampolines. I don't know. There's there's lots of uh, stuff, but we'll be posting more Star Trek uh, stuff on uh, the social handles for re-engage. But until next time, we're going to be talking about the naked now. And Kate will be uh, leading us through the discussion there. I can't wait so excited mm. we're gonna we're gonna delve mm. deep how big do you think data is <laughs> he is but how oh big my God. Oh, how oh, we're big. gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about <laughs> fluid dynamics don't worry we're gonna talk about the limp we're gonna talk about the limp <laughs> all right guys that's amazing uh we will be back with next episode very soon until then keep engage. trekking Re-engage. Uh, or no. Uh, Let's see what's out there. What, is, what does Picard say at the end of uh, Farpoint? He does oh. say, like, let's get our pants wet.